0: gospel lesson comes to us this morning from the good news, according to St. Mark, the 13th chapter. This is Jesus speaking. They just asked him, they're looking at Solomon's second temple of the time, and uh, Jesus says, all these stones are going to fall down. This, this temple will be destroyed. And they say, when will that happen? And this is part of his long response to that. In those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as this branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near, so also... When you see these things taking place, you know that He is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Stay awake. This is the gospel of our Lord. Have all of you heard this phrase, as slow as Christmas? Heard that phrase? I think in the deep south they slow, slow as molasses, but maybe the rest of us say slow as Christmas. It's kind of a weird phrase because uh, if you've ever been a kid on Christmas morning, it, it You've been anticipating, all of a sudden it's just over like that. It seems to go really fast. But I think what they're talking about, of course, is when you're actually looking forward to Christmas, when you're just waiting for it, especially like a kid perhaps, it is really, really hard. It seems to take forever. You're watching those presents under the tree day after day after day, waiting, and it's just like Christmas is so slow to come. It never, ever seems to finally arrive. See, anticipation and waiting are really, really hard when you really have your heart set on something. We've made a whole Christmas classic movie on this, of course, The Red Rider, BB Gun, those sorts of things. You're just obsessed with something, you're focused on it, and it seems like it will never quite arrive, this thing that you want so much. It makes the time in between, what you're anticipating and hoping for, the time in between makes it feel like it's so much boredom drudgery, filled with chores, and eternal. When is it ever going to be over? One of the things I feel this way a lot about in life, uh, the thing that I'm always looking forward to, it's not a gift under a tree, um, it's primarily experiences. Experiences of wonder and of discovery and of newness. I mean, if you know me, this is this is Jameson Galt. This is what, what gets me going. And it's often, primarily, this happens through travel. So I just... I'm constantly looking forward to it. I'm, I'm a happier person if I have some kind of new discovery trip on the calendar in the months to come. Uh, it doesn't mean uh, that, you know, that I'm ignoring everything that happens in the meantime, but it just gives you something on the horizon to look forward to and say, well, I can get through all of this because there's something great out there that's going to be new. There'll be some new destination, some place that has new people and new food and smells and culture and a history. Uh, places to stay, you know, and that's a part of the big, when you're planning a trip, I like to plan just enough so that nothing's going to go wrong, and I have some ideas about things, but there's just going to be some room for discovery, you know, so you kind of go and find what's actually cool, not just what's on the list that someone read, or wrote on, the, on a blog, or whatever, and, and a lot of that involves finding places to stay, places to rest, places to eat, you know, Airbnbs, or hotel rooms, or whatever it may be, and if you've been here, you know, you may be getting tired of it, we've said so much the past couple years, that life and faith is best lived like people that are going traveling, except for sacred travel. And a word for that is pilgrimage. That life in the Christian faith ought to be seen as a pilgrimage, a walk, a journey, a travel towards something new that you're looking forward to. The whole Bible is filled with go and seek and set out. And we as a church have been waiting for a long time for some things, Right? We've merged and we've been waiting even to inherit this property. We've been waiting to get to know one another for a new start, a new beginning, a new journey, something none of us has ever happened before, a home to call our own 24-7, 365 throughout the year and to welcome other people into. We've been looking forward to things, to starting new journeys, new beginnings. We've been anticipating and waiting for this and it's felt slow as Christmas sometime. I want to quote to you. From a friend of ours, Greg Thompson, who was a pastor in Charlottesville and is now kind of a multi-hyphenate artist um, ministry person, Uh, he did one of our retreats many, many years ago, if you remember him from that. He has an article in uh, the journal called Comment, and his article is called The Empty Chair on Loss and Hospitality. And he writes this. start talking about hospitality. Of all the beauty found in writings on hospitality, some of the most luminous can be found in religious writings about pilgrimage. The Christian tradition tells us that for nearly 2,000 years, people living as far south as northern Africa, as far north as Scandinavia, as far west as modern Spain, and as far east as modern Iraq, stepped out of their shelters, wrapped themselves in whatever cloth was theirs, and set out on sacred journeys, holy pilgrimages, across the remoteness of their worlds, Like all human endeavors, these pilgrimages were and still are driven by motivations at once varied and complex. Some set out seeking safety. Some sought adventure. Others sought simply the hope of beginning again. But no matter how varied their motivations, as these pilgrims stepped onto their paths and bent their bodies toward the long course before them, Each spent their days scanning the horizons for one thing. But what was that one thing? What is that one thing for you? What are you scanning the horizon of your calendar and your bank account and your networking and your relationships? And your life what are you scanning the horizon for what are you setting out to seek and to find and what do you need advent is a new beginning it's a new year it's the start of a new journey of course we with this building but advent the season is the beginning of the story it's the prologue of the good news of christianity we're going to walk through the life of Christ together, and it starts in the prologue as the people were waiting for the Messiah, and as we are waiting for the Messiah to return again. These twofold, overlayered, overlapping waitings. Advent is the beginning through the life of Christ together, and we will gather. We will organize our gathered life around the life of Christ, and then of the Holy Spirit, and then of the growth of the church for the next fifty-two weeks together. We will walk through the story. And it is the true story, not only of the scriptures, but of the whole world. The story of God's creation and our fall and of his redemption and of the coming consummation. It's the true story of the whole world. And we just reset now, like reading your favorite book again for the first time, to go back and to see things you've never seen before, because it is so dense and deep and beautiful, you could never get to the bottom of it. It's like the packed theater waiting for the lights to go down and the show to start. We are here in Advent to wait with anticipation. And actively, as we continue our walk and our pilgrimage, to wait and to scan the horizon for something coming. See, Advent is practically a four-week season that marks the beginning of the church year. It prepares us for the celebrations of Christmas, yes. But Advent means coming coming. It's meant to create longing and expectation and waiting for something more than we have now. Something more than our ordinary. Something coming to us. And what we are meant to search for, of course, is God. To want and to wait and to walk toward more of him. More of his love in our hearts and in our communities and in our world. To remember Jesus' first coming and to walk through it together and to think through all that he did and all the beauty and the healing and the grace and the power that he brought into the world. To help us to anticipate his coming again as the cosmic king and savior and healer who promises to make all things new. And he is coming to heal and to mend and to make all things new. And so Advent is meant to create a longing in us for God to come and save. To say, we're not going to settle here. In all of our ordinary walking and wandering and moving forward and waiting, we are going to be looking for you. We're not going to settle until all things have been settled for all people. We settle for nothing less than his making all things right. Settling accounts. Settling accounts bringing down the mighty and the wicked, bringing up the lowly and the poor. We're to have this longing. You heard it in Isaiah 64 when Beverly read it to us. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence to make your name known to all of your adversaries. When you did awesome things we didn't even look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. This is God's action. It's their anticipation. Jesus said it in our passage in the gospel. They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now, I won't do a long aside on this. We still have a lot to accomplish today together, but briefly. This is apocalyptic literature and rhetoric. Okay, It's a different sort of thing. It's like... If you read a recipe, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't take it and think that that recipe is going to uh, be good poetry that you read to your lover by the fireplace, right? They're just different genres. It takes a certain kind of reading to understand apocalyptic literature, and a lot of very uninformed reading has led to very unfortunate consequences for people socially and even politically to this day when they read the words of Jesus talking about his coming to us is coming to us in history and like our history now and then also at the end of all things. A lot of problems with this. But apocalyptic language isn't meant so much to reveal the things we're always excited about, the day, the hour, exactly what's going to happen, who's going to go where, what's, what's going to look like, but instead to make us awake to the holy in our ordinary events of our lives. In what's happening to us now to reveal the fact that God is actually at work and is coming into this world and is building his kingdom for eyes that can see and ears that can hear. That's why... It's mixed with all this language. It sounds like it might be the end of all things and stars coming down. And, and that's always tied to political order. and There's all these apocalyptic things. But it's about a new social order that's going to come after the Old Testament uh, system with the second temple. And the God being in the temple in Jerusalem and the Romans and all this stuff. They said, when's it going to happen? And he says, it's going to happen before you die. Before you pass away. This generation and that was around the year 8030 and in the year 8071 generation the temple was destroyed exactly as Jesus predicted okay that's why he says don't worry so much about the exact details or the hour or what's going to happen but what you need to do is to prepare that i am set on coming to you and bringing my kingdom of love And healing and redemption and shalom to the whole world. Even to your ordinary. And so get your eyes up. Don't go to sleep. Stay awake. Look. And watch. This can happen, of course. We tend to just think about political nation state events or something like that. But it happens in history. It doesn't mean that we can attribute some cause to it. But every opportunity in your life is an opportunity for you to stay awake. This just came to mind. It's probably the dumbest analogy I can think of, but that's why it's maybe good. Sometimes I'm feeling really down, and our newly adopted cats come and start loving on me, and they just won't stop I'm trying to work, and they're all up in my beard, and it's crazy, and I just stop. I'm like, let me pay attention. Maybe God is trying to show me some love right now through this cat, right? Honestly, every moment is an opportunity for you to stay awake and to say, maybe God is in this place. Maybe this event is something that I can learn from and continue my pilgrimage and to continue to long for Him and His love more and more in this world and not just the thing that I had my mind all wrapped around when I was doing that just a second ago. Every opportunity is there for you to have. And this happens, you'll see it here in the thing. Jesus says, again, stay awake. You don't know. Remember, He's answering Peter's question when will this happen? Stay awake. You do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Do you see what he slipped in there in his answer to Peter? Savage. In the next chapter, there's going to be a rooster crow. There's only two rooster crows in the whole Bible and they're both in Mark. When Jesus... When asked about the end, Jesus says that for all anyone knows, a moment of apocalyptic unveiling could happen sometime when the rooster crows at 1.30 in the morning. Maybe Peter heard all that and did what those words what we often do. He figured that if such a thing ever happened, it would be a long time off, and he'd not even be around anymore when the end would finally come. But then within forty-eight hours, a rooster crowed at 1.30 in the morning, and the full truth of Jesus came crashing down around Peter's ears. Peter did not live need to live to see the final day of judgment. That moment, that cry of that rooster was his apocalypse. His encounter with the living God. What he perhaps thought was a long ways off when Jesus first talked about it turned out to be far closer, far more pressingly urgent than he guessed. As it turns out, any and every crying of the rooster is a moment potentially full of God. Peter was waiting for his preferred dreams to come true. He was writing his own story, and it had come to a disastrous, bitter end where he rejected his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then the rooster crowed. He was a traitor and a disloyal companion to the king who loved him, and it was also the season in which he was changed, humbled, and then soon met the risen Christ and empowered Jesus is telling us that there are seasons to our story and they ought to involve little apocalypses, little unveilings of who we really are and who he really is and what his kingdom might look like for us. Of how different his kingdom is from our kingdoms that we build. And Advent then meets us here to be an apocalypse, a revealing for you and your life to take inventory and to do business with the Lord again. And so he will challenge us every time we walk off the path to turn our hearts back to him and to continue in the way that leads to him, to prepare ourselves for his coming. And that's the work of Advent, to get yourself ready, the home of your heart. That when Jesus comes to make all things right, that includes you and me, and that's good news, but it's also a painful spiritual work, this process. So Advent is a season for us to be changed by waiting and by Watching. We are to cling not to what's here, but instead to have open hands and open hearts and open minds, and we share with one another just how we give and receive more of God in our life. And I want you to hear that Christ is actually the one on pilgrimage for us, with us, and He has said that now He's gone to prepare a place for us. And so he flips the metaphor I've set us up with a little bit later in his passage. He says, be on guard, keep awake. You don't know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. In this case, be him slash God, the father. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work. And he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. It's like that, he says your life, the apocalypse, the revealings of the kingdom in your life and in the world, the way that you are stay awake and watch while you're walking. It's like a man who went away on a journey and you've been left in charge of the house while he's gone. So stay awake. You don't know when the master of the house will come back, whether it's in the evening or midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. So what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. See, in this passage, Jesus flips the sort of parable I've set up for us. And that is to say that God is going out on a journey. Jesus is going to leave them and go to heaven and send his spirit into them, yes, to lead them and to guide them, but he's going to prepare a place for them. He is preparing for us a place, a home, a new kingdom, a new heavens and a new earth. He is preparing these things. He's gone out on a journey to do some business, to buy the right things for the feast, to make preparations, and he will return, he says. And when he comes back, he's going to set all things right. Everything. In the meantime, you're going to be stewards of this house. And so stay awake and alert. Don't get all comfy and fall asleep and just enjoy everything that you've been given, but instead stay alert and wait for him to come back because there's more coming, there's better coming. We're not there yet. Wait for him. See, it's a long night of dark and threat, and we will be tempted to take a nap and to choose comfort and to sleep on him. But Evan is a call to see the story of our lives with a heavenly future, a holy hope, and kingdom possibilities waking in our lives. It means that we are to stay awake and watch for him to come into our lonely exile here. It also means... Watching out for God and for more of him means watching out for fellow pilgrims. That, of course, includes all of those people in our congregation, includes all of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Christian faith. But it also includes all those, whoever they are in their pilgrimage, if not yet into the people of God, journeying toward Jesus the Christ, explicitly if you find that there are seekers people who are hurting and hungry and longing and looking the seekers the de-churched we spent the last seven sermons talking about and the rise of the nuns all of these people who seem dislocated and looking and longing for something more they may not have the word god for it we are to be with god looking out for them Because Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, you give water to someone, you give them a place to sit, you take care of them, you heal their wounds, you did it to me. Waiting for his kingdom this Advent is about doing work and preparing and making room in our hearts, in our homes, in our lives, but it is also now about thinking of this home as a place of refuge for all those who are seeking and hurting and making pilgrimage through this darkness, And this death of this era and this life. For us to be a church known for our patience and also our expectation to use this building and our own gifts, scanning the horizon for others, looking for new opportunities, a new journey, a new adventure, a new travel (laughs) show to go on. Looking for Christ and looking for Him in others and in events, and in the ordinary, and of course in his final return. Greg Thompson did finish that passage. I cut off his sentence, so I'll pick up where he left off in closing here. No matter how varied their motivations, as these pilgrims stepped into their paths and bent their bodies toward the long course before them, each spent their days scanning the horizons for one thing, a place of welcome. Sometimes they found this welcome in private homes that doubled as taverns or inns. Indeed, in certain parts of Europe, many inns can trace their origins to ancient acts of hospitality to pilgrims. But as often as not, these ancient pilgrims found welcome in churches. Sometimes these were huge cathedrals rising up in stone and filling up with light. Sometimes these were small parishes tucked away on some side street and filled with quiet. Sometimes these were monasteries, cloistered behind walls and filled song, whatever their size, each shared a common vocation to welcome the stranger with bandages, bandages for their feet, and with a fire for their cold, a table for their hunger, a bed for their rest, and walls to protect them against the terrors of the night. And when those strangers had passed on, hosts at these shelters remade the empty beds, wiped down the empty tables, and reset the empty chairs in anticipation of new strangers, new friends to come. Friends, this Advent, make room in your hearts for God to make a home. He is preparing us. He is coming back. He is going to make home home for us this holiday season, this holy day season. And so welcome him and welcome others, even as you have been welcomed. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.